0: Welcome to the City Church Sibyl Podcast. Raising the standard, and the standard is Jesus. Judges, are you with us? Chapter 8. We're talking, for the beginning part, the person Gideon. Everybody's heard of Gideon? Yeah. Gideon led an army of? 300. That's good. Some of you know that. It's not the movie 300, but he led an army of 300. He becomes Israel's national hero. He starts out really not a very dominant personality. He's kind of laid back. He's a bit cowardly in his ways. An angel shows up to Gideon and calls him a mighty man of valor. Now, he wasn't that mighty man of valor, but God saw him as that. And how many of you know Sometimes you look at yourself wrongly if you compare it to how God looks at us. When God looks at you, he sees mighty things in you. You might look at yourself and say, no, nah, I don't think I get But God looks at you and he sees mighty things. He's, the angel says, hail mighty man of courage or valor. And at the time, the Midianites, who were the enemy of Israel, kept harassing them they had just come and possessed the land. They've, they've conquered many of the, the tribes. And as the Midianites would come, I want you to picture, as the Bible would describe it, an army so numerous as the grains of sand at the shore. Now that's a lot. Yes. Okay. Okay. And so Israel had an army of about 32,000 versus an innumerable number that was against them. And God said with the 32,000, Gideon, that's too many people for me to conquer them. And so as an elimination process came about, they ended up with 300 people. And God said, with this 300, we're going to defeat, you are going to defeat the Midianites. Now, how many of you know, logically, you and I, When we come against a great army, we want to make sure that we have a bigger army. Not a lesser one. But the reason why God lessened the number of the army was that so that Israel would know that when they defeat the Midianites, it was not by their strength, but by the Lord's. Amen? Because when you've got 300 and you can defeat hundreds of thousands, then you know it's a miracle from God. It's like when Goliath challenged Israel... Israel didn't have to look for a bigger giant. God prepared a boy. And the boy David goes out and slays the giant. Now everybody knows that it was God that did that. Amen? So whenever you look at your circumstance being too big and you being too small, good. Because it's your God who will see you through all your trials. And you need to make sure my God is bigger than anything I'm facing. And when I overcome my trial, people will know it's not me, it's the Lord. Amen. And so as Gideon now defeats the enemies, I want you to start with me on chapter 8 of Judges. And I'm reading from verse 22. Because he's now the national hero. There was no nation yet. But he's the hero. In verse 22, the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us. In other words, be our president, both you and your son and your grandson also, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. That's a pretty religious answer. Yes, because sometimes when you, God does, does a miracle in your life, for example, you took a big exam and you passed. And of course, congratulations. Oh, that was all the Lord. That was all the Lord. You mean to say you did not write anything yourself? You did. It was you and the Lord. He said the, the Lord will rule over us. And how many of you know, yes, God does rule over a nation, but he uses people. Okay. Gideon declined the election of him as a leader, and then I want you to read on with me. Gideon said in verse 24, I would like to make a request of you, however, that each of you would give me the earrings of your plunder, for they had gold, golden earrings, because they were Ishmaelites. So they defeated the enemy, got the gold from them, and went to Gideon and said, we want you to be our leader. Le- leader Gideon says, no, no, I don't want to rule over you. However, I will receive an offering. He must be a pastor or something. He receives, he wants an offering. Now with the offering, watch what happens. They answered, we will gladly, in verse 25, give them. They spread out a garment and each man threw into it the earrings of his plunder. Now the weight of the gold rings that he requested was blah, 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 43 pounds. Okay, that, 20, 20 plus, 20 kilos. That's a lot of gold. Amen. And besides the crescent ornaments, uh, the pendants, the purple robes, etc., then Gideon, in verse 27, made an ephod. And you don't know what an ephod is. Google it. Find out what an ephod is. Set it up in this city, Ophrah. And all Israel played the harlot with it there. It became a snare to Gideon and to his house. Thus Midian was subdued before the children of Israel so that they lifted their heads no more and the country was quiet for 40 years in the days of Gideon. Keep up with me for a minute because that's just a part of what we're laying down. Gideon is, is basically a coward. God calls him. He responds, leads a, a small army of 300, defeats a huge army. Now that they're, they're successful, they come to Gideon and say, we want you to be the leader from now on. Gideon says, No, I can't be your I don't want to be your leader, but I will receive an offering. And with the offering, he makes an ephod. It's actually like a a vest that a priest wears. And with that ephod, all the children of Israel began to worship basically the ephod. Instead of looking at God, it became a monument of the achievement that Gideon did for the people in God's name. Now, how many of you know we want to make sure as a church we will no, never grow to a point of success where we're thinking about how good the church is rather than how good the Lord is to the church. Amen. We want to make sure we never worship the church or the ministry. Our events. want to make sure it's never about us. It's all about what He does through us. Are you keeping up? Okay. Forty years of reigning as the leader, the reluctant leader, the passive leader, There was peace in the land. Eventually, Gideon dies. And the big question is, who succeeds Gideon now? What happens here, I want you to read with me. Verse 33, and so it was, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the children of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals, or the false gods, and made Baal berith their god. Have you noticed? God's children can be very forgetful of God's goodness. Yeah. Like an altar call last Sunday, Lord, thank you for forgiving me. I will not go back to sin. I let go this burden forever in Jesus' name. And that was last Sunday. By Tuesday, you can actually discover yourself back into your struggles again. How forgetful. Verse 34, And thus the children of Israel did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the hands of all their enemies. Verse 35, Neither did they show kindness in the house of Jeroboam, or Gideon, in accordance with the good that he had done. And so Gideon dies, and the children forget God, forget Gideon, and they're back to worshiping idols again. Now we're in chapter 9. Can you still keep up? Yeah? And and make sure the person beside you is not on, on his phone too much. She say, "Listen, you can do that afterwards." Chapter nine, Abimelech the son of Jerubbaal. You're wondering why Gideon is called Jerubbaal, is because he destroyed his father's altar for Baal, and he was his father called him Jerubbaal, the guy who destroyed the destroyer of Baal. Okay, now he has Jerubbaal or Gideon had many wives, you can tell his life was prosperous because he had many wives and many children. In fact, the Bible says he had 70 children. Now, I don't presume that just came from two women. 35 each is still a lot. If it was like from seven women, that was 10 each. Still a little bit too much. Let's just presume he had a lot of wives and 70 children. Yes, because having a lot of cattle means you're wealthy. Having a lot of wives also meant you were wealthy. Today, it just means you're really foolish. And so, with that, he has 70 wives. Gideon also had concubines. Now, you're wondering what a concubine is. It's like a certified mistress that lives in his house. So, as the leader, he has official wives And he has mistresses. A concubine is actually a live in mistress, not a secret one, but something that was for them at the time acceptable. Aren't you glad you're alive today and not then? Yeah. And so the mistresses, one of them has a son whose name is Abimelech. Okay, we're leaving Gideon, we're going to Abimelech now. Keep up with me. He's the son of a concubine. In verse 1 of chapter 9, Abimelech, the son of Jerobaal, went to Shechem, to his mother's brothers. Now what do you call your mother's brother? Your uncle. Okay, are you good at that? The son-in-law of the cousin of my uncle. <laughs> I get confused with relatives. He went to his mother's brothers, spoke with them, and with all the family of the house of his mother's brother says, please speak in verse 2 in the hearing of all the men of Shechem. Basically, Nangampanyasha. He was promoting himself to be the next leader. Okay? And ask them, who do you want? Which of is better for you? All of the 70 sons of Jeroboam reign over you? Or that one will reign over you? Remember that I'm also your own flesh and bone. Okay? And so the mother's brothers spoke and they decided it should be him. And his, here's what he does in verse 4. Abimelech, the son of a concubine, in verse 4 says, They gave him 70 shekels of silver. They gave him 70,000 pesos for the for the, kampanya, the temple of Baal-berith, of which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men, and they followed him. He went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the 70 sons of Jeroboam. Now, their, their process of choosing a leader, if there's somebody who might also be a leader, let's just kill them so I am assured to win. Now, in some provinces in our country, they still do that. Yeah, so that you will be assured that you will be the next mayor, Just kill the other candidate so it's really you. It's been going on a long time. And so he kills, he sends people to kill out um, the 70 sons of Gideon. But Jotham, in verse 5, the youngest son of Jeroboam was left because of him. Got it? Two people. Let's do that again. Chapter 9, verse 5. Then he went to his father's house at Ophrah, killed all his brothers, the 70 sons of Jeroboam, on one stone. Now, I don't know how you perceive that description. He got one stone and killed 70 (laughs) people. I doubt it. I think there was a stone and brought all of the 70, chopped off all of their heads. But when you're counting 70, one didn't get killed. He escaped. Uh, can we count it all again? Yeah, just count all the heads on the stone so it 's a stone that they killed their brother his brothers on yes, yeah it would be ridiculous if he got a stone and and they all died with a, it wasn 't like that so they one escapes, and his name is Jotham Pastor, this is so confusing ganina she Say Jotham. Okay, so Jotham, the surviving son, legal son, in verse 7, actually stands up in verse 7. When they told Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim, lifted his voice and cried out. Obviously, he wasn't there during the execution. Sometimes it's good to be absent. He stands up and he says, listen to me, you men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went forth to anoint a king. He tells a story, a parable, an allegory. And this story is going to describe the actual situation that they are in. Keeping up, here's the story. He says, listen to me. The trees once went forth to anoint a king over them. Now, an allegory and a parable means to it say it's representation. So trees don't really have elections. Pastor, sa amung probinsya, ang nagdagan, puro lagi, <laughs> Yes. Um, the trees went out to select a ruler. And a king over them. And they said to the, number one, olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree declined and said to them, Should I cease to give my oil with which they honor God and men and go to sway over trees? And so the, then the trees said to the fig tree, You come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Should I seize the sweetness and my good fruit? and to go sway over trees. And so they went to the vine, the grapevine, and said, you know, verse 12, the trees said to the vine, you come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, should I seize my new wine, which cheers both God and men, and go to sway over trees. And so the three trees, olive, which gives oil, the fig, which gave sweetness, the vine, which gave the new wine, All declined the leadership. Remember, once upon a time, the children of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us. And he says, I will not rule over you. God will rule over you. They said, Can you rule over us, your sons and your grandsons? Three generations, he said, No, I will not. God will do that. And during his life, there was peace in Israel. But after he died, they forgot God. And they forgot Gideon. In other words, it's as if they never had a victory. And because they lost, uh, they, they, they turned down the opportunity to rule, which is the olive, the fig, and the vine. Are you keeping up? Yeah. Let, let's put some slides so that you know what an olive, uh, an olive tree looks like. Olive, olive, olive. There you go. Olive. And, and here you get olive oil from olive, obviously. Yeah. Have you ever heard of extra virgin olive oil. I never did understand. If something's virgin, how can it be extra virgin? It's like... (laughs) Never mind. And so, the next one, they came to the fig tree. And I think you're familiar with fig, because everybody has a relative in the Middle East working as an OFW. Yeah, they come with their dried figs, and it's like... And so, with the fig tree... um, and with that, he declined. That tree declined. And so they went to the vine. Everybody's familiar with the vine because we can get them all at s and or something. And so because they declined the oil, they wouldn't surrender their oil, their sweetness, and their new wine. They went and approached the bramble, a thorn bush. And there you go. They said... In verse 14, all the trees said to the bramble. Now the trees represent the people in this allegory. They said to the bramble, you come and reign over us. The bramble agreed. And he said to the trees, if in truth you anoint me as king over you, here are my conditions. That firstly, you come and take shelter under my shade. And if not, Secondly, my fire will come out of the, of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Hey, that, that's not a very good deal. Amen. Hello? Yeah. In other words, I'll agree, but you need to stay under my shade. Now everybody knows you put a tree under the shade of another tree, that tree will never reach its full potential. Yeah, And he says, if you don't come under me, then my fire will consume you. That's not much of a deal. It's like, um, will you marry me? Yeah, I'll marry you. However, you must give me all your money and never will you answer back. Not a good deal. Okay, He says, you must stay under my shade. In other words, you have to submit to me. And if not, I will burn you. The bramble accepted it on those conditions. This was an allegory of what was about to happen to them. Gideon declined the role of leadership. Okay? The Bramble accepted it. I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 14, verse 17. On the screen it says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Let's put it this way. Being a Christian, it's not about being prosperous And having an easy, comfortable life. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. We go back to those three examples of trees. Once again, you take a look at the olive tree. And everybody knows in your Bible, the olive branch was always the symbol of peace. Isn't that true? Come on. Hello? Okay, example. Uh, Noah's Ark survived the flood as the waters began to recede. He sends out a, a raven. It comes back with nothing. Eventually, he sends out a dove. The dove comes back with an olive branch, which has symbolically always been now peace. In fact, the United Nations logo or symbol has olive branches on its side. Amen. You, you want to make peace with somebody? Of course, today it's with a rose before they give an olive branch. Keeping up? Okay. And then you go to the fig. Uh, when with the fig tree, it's sweetness. The fig tree was always a symbol in your Bible. Study the Old Testament and you'll see many times Jesus, God will actually allegorize the fig tree as Israel. The fig tree was symbolic of the nation Israel, the people of God, the people of righteousness. I want you to be able to see that. In fact, there was a prophecy, Jesus says, the end times when the fig tree blooms again. In fact, the fig tree is the last of the trees to actually bloom. But when you see that last tree bloom, then you know summer is near. It also was a sign that Jesus said, when the fig tree blooms the coming of the Son of Man is very near. Now Israel, historically, was dispersed for thousands of years. In 1948, a ram's horn was blown, shofar. And out of the whole world, the nations where the children of Israel were scattered, in 1948, they all converge in the land Palestine, which is today modern Israel. Keeping up with me? In other words, the nation shriveled up, it was scattered, but in 1948 the nation was rebirthed and it started to bloom. And Israel is a very prosperous, blessed nation today, despite all its neighbors trying to kill it. God's hand and favor is upon Israel. But since 1948, that's been already, what, 72, 71 years ago, Israel had already bloomed. And Jesus says, when you see the olive, when you see Israel bloom again, The coming of the Son of Man is very near. Can we put it this way? Jesus is coming soon. Amen. And so the fig tree was a symbol of righteousness. The olive was a symbol of peace. And the vine was a symbol of, it produces new wine, and it would produce oil, excuse me, joy. He says, will I give up my new wine, which gives joy to both God and men? Now, I don't want you to sit there and picturing God's drinking wine all the time. But it's a new wine that we're talking about of the Holy Spirit. But also, I want you to be able to see that the vine represented joy. The three. Peace, righteousness, and joy. They were given the opportunity to rule, and they declined, and the bramble took over. We're entitling this message, if you ever want to listen to it again, The Bramble King. And the reason we're doing that is I want to show you today that as Christians, the children of God, that's you, the church, amen, we have a responsibility to accept the leadership. We are to lead the nation in how to live, but the church has oftentimes declined. Proverbs 29 verse 2 Says, when the righteous are in authority, who's the righteous? The church. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. When the wicked man rules, the people groan. Oh, the church, the church, listen to us. The church, the Christian, the righteous people, the people that bring the joy of the Lord, the people that actually are peacemakers, we are supposed to, we have the responsibility of demonstrating to a city how to live. However, we have relinquished that position. Once upon a time, nations normally just followed Christian norms. In fact, when European nations went out to colonize the world, every town the, the Protestant nations went out and, and they took lands and, and they spread the gospel, and then the Catholics also went and, and through Spain and Portugal started colonizing nations. We were formerly a colony of Spain. Yeah, that's why we love mestizos and mestizas. We make the movie stars. And the only Filipinos that were usually in a movie star, you had to be a freak at the time. But I want you to be able to see, every town in our nation has two main buildings in the middle of it all. Municipal Hall, which was the seat of political authority, and the parish, which had the church. And the parish, always in every town that was Christian, always had, at its highest point, the cross. And if there were other buildings taller than the church, they will build a steeple, which is like a tower with a cross on top. Because they wanted to make sure that the cross was the highest point of their city or town. Amen. Go through all the towns of Cebu. Visit them. You will always see Municipal Hall and the Parish Church. Which means to say the mayor and the parish priest were the two most powerful people in the town keeping up. However, mayors are replaced every four or six years. The parish priest was a very powerful person because everybody confessed their sins to him. Ah, okay. Mm, mm, mm. And so even mayors were scared of parish priests. In other words, even in medieval Europe, the church was a very powerful organization. So powerful, the king was careful with the power of the church Amen. Keeping up? Okay. The church. Here's what I'm trying to present to you today. We have, as Christians, a responsibility to actually, in this sense, rule over a nation. I'm not talking politically, but I am talking sometimes in every sphere of society. The church is supposed to be the demonstration of how Jesus Christ wants us to live on this earth. The government, once upon a time, in the Bible, there was no separation of church and state. The church was the state. The state was the church. Israel was the people of God. It was also a nation. Keeping up? Okay. But then the whole political thing divided. Today, Christians don't like joining politics. If you're a Christian... Or if you're a pastor and God calls you to run for a political office, people say, why are you joining politics? You're a Christian. You know what? If Christians don't get into politics and the lawmakers make laws away from the Word of God, which is actually what's happening now, then you have nations already that aren't following the Word of God because Christians withdrew. Rule over us. Nah, politics is too dirty. Leave it to the politicians. And I'm sorry if you're a politician here. God bless you, because you have a very important role to bring the influence of the gospel of Christ to the people. But guess what happened? They separated the church from the state, and they allowed the state to be as sinful as it was as long as you went to the church. I want you to look at various areas. Once upon a time... The arts belonged to the kingdom of God. Once upon a time, the best artisans, the best artists, would actually use their gift and talent for the glory of God. Michelangelo painted the ceiling of the... You know that, right? The best artwork before the Renaissance, they were all Christian. The, The masterpiece of when God has his finger and a naked Adam... Also touched God's finger like like E.T. Like e. E.T. phone home. They touched each other in that creation. No, it was done by Christians. The best building in any town or city before were designed by the architects that were Christian. A cathedral in a city was the point of the most beautiful artwork in buildings because Christians at the time. We're the ones in influence. What happened? We relinquished the role of leadership. Today, we've got church boxed in on a Sunday morning or afternoon, structured in a little building, and come here. We do our Christian thing of righteousness, peace, and joy. And when we go out, if we don't rule, the bramble does. The bramble is that thorny leader who pokes and says, if you don't submit to me, then my fire will consume you. And I want you to look at various areas where the church has relinquished its role to lead in the arts, video arts. Once upon a time, nobody would dare do movies that was was immoral. Once upon a time, a nation's Culture and morals had the home court advantage of Christianity. If you're into basketball, you know that when you play in your university's home court, you have an advantage. Why? You're familiar with the court. The whole crowd is cheering for you. The visitors have the pressure of playing in the other person's court. Once upon a time, the church had the advantage That no matter what it did, the nation more or less agreed with what we believed in. We believed thou shalt not kill. We believe thou shalt not commit adultery. Covet your neighbor's wife. Don't steal. We believe in not lying. We believe in not cheating. Basic morals were Christian. We gave that up. The bramble took over. And now began to change standards. The Bramble took over Hollywood because Christian producers were not there to produce Christian films. And as a result, the Bramble now does anything he wants. Don't you think movies are just a little bit too violent sometimes? Don't you think when they get a shotgun and blow somebody's brain and we get to see the anatomy of an exploded person's head, we say, wow, instead of the special effects of that, we're saying, We're being desensitized to violence. Don't you think if the church doesn't step up, then you can have all sorts of immorality? What was once R-rated is now PG-13. And if you look at that and shake your head and say, don't blame them. The world is just being worldly. It's when the church doesn't step up. Here's what's wrong. The world was worldly and the church was churchy we were never called to be churchy. We were called to be Christ-like, but never churchy. Amen. And so when Christian movie producers withdrew, Hollywood had a field day. Fashion. When you give the fashion industry to immoral people, then they will clothe or unclothe the models according to what they want. Where is the Christian fashion model who can display elegance and beauty and purity without taking their clothes off and showing more flesh than material? When you say you're a Christian, and then I'm in the fashion industry, oh, you're a model,' Christian and modeling. It doesn't go. Why? Because we withdrew. The arts, music. You know, God created music. It's a beautiful way of expressing collectively our worship to the Lord. Instead of you singing your song and me singing my song and everybody else doing their own song, we can put one song together and collectively sing as one voice to the Lord. Yes. And why can't we all sing our own song? Can you imagine how confusing that would be? If everybody just decided to play their own song you sing your song you sing your song people come and say are you guys drunk or mad but you know what's the beauty of music you can actually take it put your worship into it because music is not worship and don't ever worship music it's a vehicle but you can actually offer it to the Lord as a church we love to bring the arts in and offer it to God oh But you have electric guitars. Do you realize electric guitars are not in the Bible? Yeah, neither are projectors or microphones or air conditioning. It's not in the Bible either, but we're taking gifts. Oh, you have drums in your church. Do you know the roots of drums are demonic? They come from tribal music in Africa, and you're calling on other gods. We don't believe there are other gods we believe there's only one God. And when we play our drums and our cymbals, we play it to our God. Amen. And, and we love bringing the arts in. Yeah, Pastor. It's art. It's not for you. We tell the, the lighting director, don't make it a show in itself. Enhance the song. And so sometimes, there are no lights. Like a while ago, when we showed all the biological examples of God's creation, the lights went off. And the Christian who comes in, When we sing a song, Let There Be Light, it has to start out dark. Yes. Because you don't say, let there be light. No. no, you turn off the lights. You're making the lights work with the song. And so with lighting, you can create moods. Yes. You go out tomorrow, Sir Luigi and Ma'am Corinne. they're going to go out on a romantic date. Do you think it's going to be bright lights? Like they're having their dinner Romantic, no, romantic, no. They dim the lights because lights create mood. We do it in worship. And if you don't believe God is the God of arts, you've never seen the astronomical wonder of the galaxies, of how colorful they all are. The heavens declare your glory. Amen. You don't look through a telescope and see some far distant commute, computerized image, black and white, no, no, no. Because God is creative, He's the God of color. Have you ever seen a sunset as an artistic work, an expression of God, so that you and I can stand in wonder, oh Lord, how beautiful your sunset is? Yeah. I don't want a sunset in sepia. It's just so flat. Sunset. Praise the Lord. Sunset. It's not inspiring. That's why we use lights to inspire. Can you imagine how many frustrated worshipers who are lighting directors who cannot express their gift in a church because they say lights belong to a nightclub, not in church. We don't know. We've never been to a nightclub. <laughs> Obviously, you have. <laughs> and so we want to use the expression of gifts. If you're an artist, welcome to City Church, where we want you to express. <laughs> Amen. Pastor, ganong di dancers. Man, it's really hard to worship when somebody's running around with a flag. It's like, he's waving. It's like, I can't read the lyrics through the flags. And so we want to make sure that the worship doesn't distract as well. Pastor, if you really love art, you know what, my tambourine dancers. Well, they had them 2,000 years ago. It's the year 2019. and, And nobody dresses like that, even in Israel. They don't dress like that anymore. You might be surprised when you go to Israel, the women don't dress like tambourine dancers with all their ribbons. But you see, if that's your call and that's your type and that's your flavor in the church, do it. Amen. But it's not our flavor. See, in our flavor in city church, it's it's more modern. Modern is carnal. We should sing hymns composed by people 200 years ago where the gospel was sung. Do you know when the first hymn came out, it wasn't traditional? It was modern for their time. Created a song, Amazing Grace. Modern Rakayna. We will sing that 200 years later on when you are already dead and gone. No, I think we should be at the forefront of expressing worship to the Lord. Fashion, I believe that the women in City Church don't have to dress immorally to look beautiful. I believe they can be beautiful with conservativeness and modesty and walk in purity. And I believe it's a lot more classy. We have withdrawn from establishing the morality standard, and he says, "Ah, that's the world where the church." You can't isolate the church and say, we have our own standards, and they have their own standards. You know why they have a standard? We withdrew. And when we withdrew, the bramble redefined what marriage is. Marriage was defined to be a permanent relationship between one man and one woman. And they were to do that till death parted them. But then we gave it to the bramble, and the bramble says, well... If your wife is psychologically incapacitated, now, I want to tell you, every quarreling husband thinks his wife is psychologically incapacitated. Of course, you will find a reason. And the wife will also agree. For once we are in agreement, he is psychologically incapacitated. The husband says, no, it's you. See? And because the two of you can't agree, irreconcilable differences is... A foundation for divorce and so they allowed divorce and once they allowed divorce and remarriage the bramble took over if you don't submit to that my fire will consume you there are f- frontline war battles going on between one kingdom and the kingdom of darkness we're the kingdom of God we're the kingdom of God battles the kingdom of darkness the youth is in a frontline battle you raise your kids the best you can you release them to a campus but the standard of the campus is of the bramble no righteousness no peace no joy Ah, we'll just make Christian schools what happens when they graduate from Christian schools they have to go to a secular world where it's not home court Well, we'll just make a secular. That's the whole point. We're supposed to make the whole city Christian. Once upon a time, we had that advantage. We don't have it now. The front line of youth wherein you go in and the best you've raised your youth is in battle with the standard of this world. And the youth struggle to remain Christian. Another front line, businessmen and women, to do business in Cebu. The standards are of the Bramble King. You want to be an importer? You have to pay the bribe. You don't pay the bribe, your cargo doesn't come out. Your shipment stays until you pay. And so the Christian has to bow down to that standard or else he'll have no business at all because the previous generation didn't stand up and say, let's rule over our city. So now you've got millennials and the millennials come and they take a job. And in the first five years of their work, they've worked in six different offices already. It's like, apply na ko, resign na put ko, apply na put ko, resign. And we're thinking, how will you ever establish yourself? And so we look at the millennial and say, what's wrong with you guys? You can't seem to commit. You're jumping around from job to job, from city to city, from girlfriend to boyfriend to you've tried everything yeah we can look at that and say what's wrong with you or we can actually say what was wrong with the parents that raised the generation of Millennials maybe they did not establish the righteousness of God in the home and I think you know if there's one big area where the church really blew it where they said no we will not rule over you and the bramble took over men men did not stand up to the challenge of being the spiritual leaders of the house to be able to lead their wives in prayer and their children in the righteousness of God and they were just too cool in attending church and we relinquished it to the pastor or the priest and then you wonder why today's marriages aren't working or the families are disintegrating because somebody didn't accept the call to be the leader and when you don't make a man lead guess what will happen Then the women will lead. Or the men who like to be women will lead. And the next thing you know, where's the real man? Let me tell you a little bit about this church. We took a survey, an info card. We found out that the population of City Church, two-thirds are women. Well, that's almost like the population standards as well. Two thirds of, of the people in city church are women. Two thirds of the women in city church are single. Wow. You wanna look for a wife? Go to a big church where all the single women go. You go to a church of 15 people, your chances of marriage is very slim. You go to city church. They're all single. Not only that, two-thirds of the people in City Church give. You're wondering, wow, you mean to say about 65% of the people in City Church give? People say, that's a giving church. No, it's not. It's only two-thirds giving. I think everybody should be a giver. If you love the Lord, yeah, pastor, me and my wife, we just use one envelope. Well, you're sitting on one seat with an envelope. Put it in yours. Yeah. When did God ever give you half a blessing? You have two eyes, you're blind. Lord, heal me. you're not Lord. You're crippled. Both your legs don't work. God heals one leg. Hey, praise God. The other one doesn't work. Since when did God go half on you? I encourage you. Let your children go downstairs to City Champs and teach them to give. We're not trying to take from you. We're trying to bless you. Because in giving, your children will learn how to be blessed. Two-thirds, for some churches, that's a good number. For this church, nah, we're not there yet. Two-thirds of the people in City Church generally come late. That's for every three, two are late. So, late, you late, you late. late, late. That means there are two people beside you that were late. Oh, that's sad. Don't you think if it's worship, you're never late for worship. It's the most important event of your week. You start out your week and I put God first in everything. You know, the Israeli army today, everybody serves. The women in the Israeli army serve. Would you believe that? They go to war. We have some pictures of Israeli soldiers that are women. Wow. Our women don't want to get dark in the sun. Papayan. But you know what? They didn't say, only the men will go to the army. I think every Christian in a church should be rowing this boat. I don't think one-third volunteers, two-thirds sitting there, "Eh, pretty good service, will grade you. You are never called to grade a service. You are called to lift up the voice of God together. Get into a ministry. Find your cause. And don't just Clap. city church when we started out I got a close but we said you know what let's be a church that is a breath of fresh air in the stale environment of Sunday services did we kind of insult every other church in the city by just saying that they're not listening to us we said you know what you I am sick and tired of church he says yeah I'm sick and tired of church too same old thing every Sunday I wonder if a church could be assembled where in people like freshness and newness all the time yeah and in City Church when something's the same old same old sure enough somebody will say na, so that's why every month we change the backdrop the other month it was balls remember that yeah and and we want to we want to change the screen to something in the middle that's more you know well lit we try to make sure equipment's always upgraded there's newness all the time that's why we're bringing more people so we bring in new people Remember, no lights, many lights. The church always loves to complain. We said, let's have a church that's fresh, that doesn't complain. That when we say you can't sit here, you have to sit there, the people just say, okay, we're not here today. We're there upstairs. Most churches, sah sa ubus. It's in the same building. It's not like we meet here and next week, we're in Mambaling. Stay posted. We might be in Sabangdako the following week. Keep in touch with us. No, it's just one building. Stop complaining. It's a tall Escalator na Naglisod escalator. Excuse me. May our ushers carry you upstairs, sir? freshness we were never called to be insignificant as a church we are either loved or hated but at least you know we're around we're either stoned you know stoned not not stoned we're either stoned or imitated they either criticize us or say good things about us but it's assuredly this they know there's a church in the city called City Church because I don't think the church or any church was designed to be light that is covered under a bowl it was to be a city on a hill a light where the whole house benefits from it we don't want to ever be insignificant as a church remember when Metro Gaisano burned down all the devotees wept Allah, They mourned because their mall burned. We want to make sure that if a church ever shuts down, they've never heard of us. You want to make sure we are heard of. Because if you're not heard of, you're not making a difference. You know why? Because churches keep withdrawing you say, "Ah, we don't do art, we don't do lights, we don't do drums, we don't do business, we don't do politics, then what do we do? We're a church and we do church. So is this life or isn't the church supposed to go into its city and say, let's change our office. Let's change our campus. Let's change our neighborhood. Let's change our family reunions. And if we have high school reunions, let's change our high school reunion attendees. Because every high school reunion wants to make 65-year-old men still behave like they're in high school. Oh, guys, grow up, please. In closing, uh, just a couple of things. Number one, Pick your life up we had a great message about exceptional caleb and then pastor brian preached the weapons of our warfare and then last week we had an altar call of people that were carrying burdens too heavy and that's okay because in a military spiritual military base you do get shot in the kingdom battle and when you come to church we have to treat the wounded soldiers. But please, don't stay wounded forever. Don't come and, Kanindot no? everyone's praying for me. No. Get your life together. Pick your life up. Number two, set the example how to live in your own office. Everybody criticizes the boss. Don't be a part of it. Right, Gail? number three take responsibility to lead that's what a church was meant to be the head and not the tail number four spread the cause of the gospel everybody wants to drink after payday drink milk get a frap. you don't have to get drunk and celebrate no, set the example and spread the cause. I was online on Facebook and there's this one page that I connected to recently. Two young students, two young sisters, they had a cause. It was called, their page is called Saving Strays. And so I said yeah I'll I'll look in I like this every day they post pictures of really sad dogs in our city and what this girl would do is she would go to these really depressed areas take care of the dogs and started a page called saving strays and some of the dogs were so malnourished and some particular dogs were tied with electrical wires so tight their necks would cut and it would be bleeding some dogs had broken legs and 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 the owners just kept them tied and some stayed in the hot sun and when it rained got wet in the rain she had such a burden she started taking care of these dogs bringing them to vets asking people please donate this dog's leg has to be amputated and so I communicated I said great cause my cousin does that my son does that as well my son, when we were in Manila for the holidays, we were at BGC and all of a sudden he was gone and we're eating lunch. Son, where are you? He says, I'm, I, I'm here at a vet. What are you doing there? I saw this sickly cat. So I took it, got a taxi and brought it to the vet and paid the vet some, left money with the vet and, and, and I'll catch up. And he said, whose cat was that? He says, I don't know. It's just a cat. I said son we have a lot of that everywhere yeah but nobody takes care of them And this girl is doing exactly the same thing and so i I started even giving to their cause instead of looking at the picture say lui, no, lui, lui. I said I'm gonna help this person Now it's not that I'm into that but when I see somebody that is consumed by a passion for a cause I don't know what it is as long as it's not sinful I'll fan your flames. I'll put charcoal on your fire. And I said, I'll help you. We'll help you. We're constructing a, an office. Our new center will be finished soon. Amen. Build up some excitement. Pastor, can you say, I'm going to finish our new center? But if you have a cause, we'll fan your flames. And I said, You know what? This person has such a passion for saving dogs more than some Christians have for saving the lost. People that are going to hell. That's why we have donations. That's why we have offerings. So that we can reach the lost. Amen. So you, you're thinking, what can you do? These are two students. I said, you can make a difference if you actually have more followers this lady has more followers than City Church has their page has 20,000 followers City Church has 10 I look at that and says two people I, I gotta do something about this thing I said we will help you in your cause but for sure I will introduce them to our cause and you can do that in your office In your bank in your school in your neighborhood and live like a Christian wherever you are rule over us yeah I think righteousness peace and joy should because if we don't then the world's bramble king will take over and don't complain if the standards of the world is too cruel to your faith in Jesus name Amen father thank you so much for reminding us we were meant to lead not to be passive among businessman is not just to earn money is to fuel the cause that our marriage should be the standard of all marriages husbands that are Christian should be standards and wives should be standards we should lead our children should lead should go in schools and make a difference and may this church not that we want to build an ephod or a monument that we will worship may this church also lead demonstrate to other churches not in pride but in love we don't want to be known as a big church or a loud church or a modern church we want to be a church known for its love so we open our hearts. One more song. We worship you. We worship you.